Welcome to Intrepid Media, the show for the business professional. Here, we're going to talk about business topics such as leadership, sales, marketing, HR, innovation, strategy, and technology. But we're also going to riff about lifestyle too and help you look better, feel better, and live better. This show is everything the modern business professional needs, from the C-level executive to the millennial. So let's get on with the show. Good morning and welcome back to Intrepid Radio. I am your host, Todd Schnick. Going to be a powerful conversation today. I think it's safe to assume that, and this gentleman's research will bear this out, but most of us listening to this aren't fulfilled. And and that's, frankly, that's a shame. And, And I think there's a lot of us that perhaps are not feeling fulfilled, but a lot of us don't know what to do about that. We don't know how to become fulfilled. And and frankly, I think there's a lot of us that think it's not okay to be fulfilled, that you know, life is meant to be a hard slog and uh, we shouldn't be uh, we, we shouldn't be doing those kinds of things to, to get ourselves fulfilled. And we're going to talk about that too. So it's going to be a great conversation. Joined today by Dr. Bill Scheman. He is the CEO of the Metris Group and the author of a new book, which we're here to talk about, Fulfilled, Critical Choices, Work, Home, Life. Bill, welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. I'm glad to have you. I appreciate you making time to join us. Got this exciting book coming out in uh, probably a few weeks. Um, one of many books you've written. In fact, while we're there, take a few seconds and tell us a bit about you and your background. Well, I, I actually come out of a tradition of uh, organizational psychology, but I've worked in, I've taught at university, business schools, worked for the corporate world with AT&T, and then been in consultative and research roles uh, ever since. So I uh, started Metris actually in uh, 1989, so a long time ago. <laughs> Outstanding. Well, appreciate the important work you're doing. I, I always ask some variant of this question to all my guests, particularly when they have written a book on a subject where if you were to go to Amazon and type in, I want to be more fulfilled or I want to be happier or I feel like I should be enjoying this pursuit of happiness and I'm not, there's a lot of books out there on this subject. Why did the world need this one from Bill? It's a great question. I think actually if you type in happiness, you'll get a lot of answers. I think if you type in fulfillment, you will not. And I think one of the things we've realized is that you know happiness has been research talked about more in the context of daily life and fulfillment is as we interviewed people for our research we did a lot of in-depth interviews with both fulfilled and unfulfilled people and uh, we also did a lot of survey work across generations and one of the things we discovered is that it's a long-term sense of finding one's dreams and creating a lifestyle that brings exceptional happiness and inner peace. And I think that's not what we see really on the market today uh, or has been on the market. If you were to line up people and say, all right, define happiness and now define fulfillment, I think most people would probably think, well, wait, isn't, isn't that the same thing? I mean, is it or is it not? Well, I think it's not. I think, I think the happiness is a shorter-term sense of I'm happy today or I'm happy this week or I'm happy with my job. But what we found is that a deeper sense of fulfillment is a sense of being all you can be, um, having a purpose in life. And uh, as we talk to people, particularly in later stages in life, I think it, you know much of this came through more strongly that 
you know, I want my life to stand for something. I want a legacy. You know, I want to make sure that I felt like I really used, you know, my time on this earth effectively. And I think that's that sense that kind of grows with people over time. Hmm. So it's this idea of having a purpose in life. Because I think most people don't know what their purpose is. I mean, if you were to sit them down, look them in the eye and say, what is the purpose of your life? Why are you here most people, in my view, they can't answer that question, and it and you can't be happy. You certainly can't be fulfilled with your definition if you don't have that purpose. Why is that so hard for so many people? I, I think it's interesting. We see people who ask that question. We see that question being asked a lot in colleges with younger folks. But what happens is people get caught up in the trap, the traps of habit. It's you know, my job and this job leads to another and, you know, this task leads to another and, you know, now I have a family and I have children and, oh my God, you know, I'm 55 and I'm an empty nester and what happened? Yeah. I think it's that, that constant pace of life that makes it very difficult to take the time out to ask that question or to see has it changed. Right, right. Well, is it? Am I correct in assuming that the, this is really a two-step process? Yeah, I, I'm. I'm understanding that you have to have that purpose, you have to have a mission, you have to have a calling, and maybe those are different definitions. But I think you get where I'm going. I, I think it's it's one thing to know that. I think it's quite another to actually be doing something about it, right? Because you could have a purpose. You say, I know why I'm here. But if I'm forced doing this eight to five Monday to Friday job that prevents me from actually thinking about that and focusing on it, well, then I'm not fulfilled. Is, is it is it that simple of a two step process to to know what the mission is, but then to actually be in a position to do something about it? Yeah, I think I think the gap that we frequently find. First of all, it's you know, do I have do I have the vision? And by the way, is that consistent with my values? You know, who I am. So you know, we see people go down paths. That they start on with one vision, you know, I want to be, you know, in banking or, and they're in there for a couple of years and say, you know what, this isn't consistent with who I am or, you know, what I value or I'm not willing to put in 90 hour weeks because there's something else going on in my life that I want to do. So I think that's a part of it. And then I think this, the, the part two here that you, you talk about is that people don't match time and activities that they're engaged in today to the stepping stones to that vision. So you start out, you sort of like, well, there's multiple paths here. And the question is, is this path and time you're putting in leading you in a direction that's headed toward that vision? So without, without a crystal clear vision, it's hard. And then also without seeing what path actually gets me there. Yeah. Well, let's be clear here. This is not a book full of your theories and ideas. This is uh, based on extensive research. So walk us through that research process and, and then tell us what you found out and what surprised you from that process. Well, the research process was, and we, we've been studying individuals for a long time and my organizational side of life. And, and there was a point in time here where we had a client who was uh, vice president of human resources and she came to me one day after we did a talk and said you know i didn't want to tell you this before the talk but last night i was diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer and i said oh my god and uh you know uh, they give him one of the major hospitals gave her five months and click ahead now 10 years she's still alive and oh. about 
seven years ago, we sat down for coffee, and I, I said, I, I just have to hear about the journey. And, and she looks at me, and she says, I just want to thank you for saving my life. I kind of like, what? And she goes on to tell me that she began to apply a lot of the techniques that we had been working with her on in her company and applied them to her personal life. And so there were issues, for example, alignment. She had uh, put together a team of people who really could believe that she could beat this and began aligning her eating regimens and working on diet and working on alternative medicines to make sure everything was really focused and riveted. She had no time to waste and in her her life and capability the second dimension was capabilities so you know in the work life it was around your competencies and what are you doing but for her it was like i don't know anything about medicine i mean i have to like learn at an accelerated pace about every possible thing that could be done and then the third part was passion i mean for her it's passion to live i mean she talked about cohorts in that uh, that group that was given the death sentence who just kind of gave up. Mm. I mean, they just said, well, I guess it is. And she said even her own daughter was kind of telling her mom, you know, they're experts. And she had to say, you know, I, I can't have you around me or on my team. I can't have anybody with negativity because I'm going to beat this. So I think those, you know, while this is a personal story and a medical one, I think it works in other parts of life around, you know, are you aligned really with the values of your company? Are you aligned with the vision? Is the work you do every day meaningful? Do you have passion about it? Do you have the competencies to do it or with a relationship? So I think those three elements, alignment, capabilities, and engagement, was something we began to really understand as we did these interviews. And it played out not only at the corporate level, but it played out at the individual level. Yeah. And did your research bear out the idea that wealth, financial wealth, doesn't necessarily lead to fulfillment? Yeah, it sure doesn't found a lot of people. What was interesting is we looked at a lot of successful people. Many people who had money, position, you know, all the trappings of of success. But a lot of those people were not fulfilled. And so one of the things we looked at is, you know, what's really different between those people? And for many of them, it was this uh, lack of a vision. I've been just kind of bouncing for money each time I move. But gosh, you know, my personal relationships have gone down the tube or, you know, I've been on my third marriage, or I don't have any friends that I hang out with at all. It's a very lonely life. So we found a lot of stories like that, or people who had been that in their first 10 years out of school, and then all of a sudden, you know, sort of discovered it and found that some of these other things really made a difference. Hmm. I'm amazed at how many people I observe still the key driver in their life is is that paycheck and and they make decisions based on trying to get a bigger one and it's just when i made that realization several years ago and that became less of a focus on my life it changed everything for me so anyway fascinating all right bill sheeman and i will return after this short break we'll be right back this episode is brought to you by the new international best-selling book leadership rigor This groundbreaking book will turn everything you think you know about leadership upside down. Leadership Rigor explores how to achieve breakthrough performance and productivity through leading yourself, leading teams, and leading at the organizational level. Author Erica Piedler outlines for her readers how to become change-ready leaders. Change-ready leaders are capable of embracing challenges with agility and optimism because they have the tools, models, and language to assess 
structure, and facilitate solutions. Leadership is a skill that can be learned and practiced. Take the rigor challenge and ask yourself, do you want to lead mindfully and skillfully? Or do you want to subject your teams and organizations to your unstructured thoughts and approaches? The choice is yours. Will you rigor it? You can purchase Leadership Rigor on Amazon or by visiting ericpetler.com. All right, I am back with Dr. Bill Scheman, the author of a new book called Fulfilled Critical Choices, Work, Home, Life. So, Bill, we talked about uh, a number of things the top half of the show. You mentioned that ACE model. I think that's, uh, that is a critical framework to help anyone kind of rethink uh, their life and what they're doing to uh, begin to be a, and live a fulfilled life. Uh, walk us through, uh, I imagine those are maybe the key drivers to fulfillment. Uh, so if, I would love for you to expand on that a bit. Also, I'd love to talk about the five secrets that fulfilled people use every day. Sure. I mean, uh, the alignment to capabilities and engagement part, if you think about it pretty simply, it's think about any part of your life. If you have a hobby, you know, you're really riveted on. You can, it's because you're aligned. It aligns with your interests, with your capabilities. You develop skills that go with it because you enjoy doing it and you have a passion for it. And, you know, there's people come into work every day who are like that. They just love what they're doing and they they're, can't wait to get more training or development around something to make them better at it. And if it's aligned with the company and the company's giving them rewards or kudos or recognition for it, life is good. And it doesn't work when people are dragging in thinking, I just can't you know, do another program or I you know, can't stand doing another spreadsheet and I don't want to learn new technology and you know, I'm being pushed to do all this. So I, mean, I think those are the, the, you know, the building blocks, and it pays for organizations, too, because people who are aligned, capable, and engaged are high, much higher performers, and they stay with organizations longer. So the payoff for, for most companies is there to help people and organizations either get there or discover that maybe there isn't a fit and, and they should move on because then everyone is more fulfilled, the company and the individual. So, you know, in, in terms of the the five secrets that you, you talk about, I think there's, we've already talked about a couple. One is having a purpose and a plan that's there. And I think what struck me, if you think about sort of this plan, it, it, there's some good stories out here. I think one is, you know, Jim Carrey, uh, the comedian, who, you know, didn't start out successfully, came from terrible poverty, lived out of VW camper and relatives lawn for some time, they had some terrible experiences at comedy clubs and, uh, you know, sleeping on a park bench in L.A. until he made enough money. And he said, I'm going to do this. And he, and, and he basically gave himself a check for $10 million that he said he was, he was going to give himself five years to accomplish. And he was broke. And uh, continued to, you know, press and work and, and, and accomplish that because he had that that passion for his vision and uh, it was just before five years was up as I understand it that he was told he was going to be in a movie Dumb and Dumber which was going to pay ten million dollars mm. so you know it's one of those stories that of having you know this great vision and it's something that we found in, in you know in common across a lot of both successful and fulfilled people people like Michael Phelps who said you know I've always had a plan uh, we've seen a lot of Olympians, uh, you know, recently. 
I think strong values is the second one, the, the, the second area that I would pull out. And the, you look to somebody like Andre Agassi, who was a you know, great tennis star, and he quit tennis. He had the skills. He had been put through training, you know, I think pushed by parents. But there was a point where he said, I don't love it. I don't love this. And as good as skills as I have, I'm doing a more mechanical process of it. And then, you know, on his own terms, he decided that, you know, I really would like to come back to this. I'm enjoying doing things that I do with kids and teaching people tennis. So he came back on his own terms, went on to win more Grand Slams and be one of the older, very successful players who had, everyone said, had more passion, you know, in his game than he had ever had before. So I think that sense of alignment with your values and what's important uh, is, is, a, is a big one. The, uh, the third area that was the secret was resilience. Mm. And uh, people have heard of grit. Angela Duckworth you know, has talked about them, the importance of having this sense of grit and ability to, to uh, come back from, from knockdowns. In my interviews with the last hundred or so people, it was a rare person, maybe one or two, who did not have stories of setbacks in their life. Very few successful people have had just a smooth path. I mean, they've had you know, career setbacks. They've had, uh, as the woman I mentioned before, uh, medical setbacks, family uh, setbacks, divorces, whatever. And the people who seemed most fulfilled and went on to more successful outcomes were those who built resilience. And they did it in some different ways, some through mentors, some through uh, spirituality, some by uh, scoping back up to their, their larger purpose in life. But friendships seem to be a really important part of that, and having a support network. People who lost jobs, you know, never built a network, didn't have any mentors, and now they're 53 and said, oh, my gosh, you know, I should have spent part of my life here really building. I have no net. So I think that was an important one. The fourth was taking risks. I'll mention Don Thomas. He was, he's one of the, the NASA astronauts, went to space four times as a payload specialist. Don was working for my wife at the time, and Don tells us now that at age six, he had a dream he wanted to become an astronaut. And of course, you know, yeah, many kids did. But he kind of planned his hobbies, the things he did. He went to an engineering school. He got a job at a, at a major engineering company and applied to NASA and got turned down. And he continued to work at it in many ways, got turned down ultimately four times picked up, moved to Houston, and said, left a really good job, went to Houston, started anew at companies that were closer to NASA, both geographically but also in the industry, and ultimately got selected the next time around to be in the program. You know, that was a risk. He took a chance doing something that he had passion for. And I heard so many stories of people who look back on their life and said, you know, some of the moments I grew and was most, most fulfilled by were points where I took risks, where I did something that was not just routine, but, I, but it stretched me. And then the last one is give back. I think the, uh, the group that struck me enormously was a group called Rosie's Theater Kids in New York. And I was at a program and, and uh, had some backstory on these kids that many of them are recruited out of broken homes, uh, abused par- abusive parents, crack houses, kids who are homeless. 
And these are people, if you were to go down the street or see these kids, you'd say, wow, you know, these kids have like zero chance of being fulfilled. I mean, wow. And um, they offer and, and find these kids and bring them into a program around musical theater. And I sat there at a performance and watched what these kids were doing. I saw the smiles on their faces. I saw what they were capable of doing and talked to a few of the kids afterward who talked about, gosh, my future and what I'm going to do. And, and, you know, I could be successful. And I looked to those individuals who were volunteers, and some of them said this was probably the most fulfilling thing they'd probably done in their entire life. And as I talked to more volunteers as part of our research work, this came up over and over again that giving back was one of the most important things for them in life. And we saw that probably more in Xers and baby boomers who have a longer chance to do that in their life. Well, you know, I listened to you run through the, you know, these secrets, and then you talked about the, you know, the three drivers, the, you know, the ACE model. And then I think about the story you told about Jim Carrey, and and you mentioned it, but I think it's worth emphasizing again, this idea that you don't become fulfilled only when you've made it, only when you've been successful. I mean, I think Jim Carrey would tell you, no, that process, getting the $10 million paycheck with Dumb and Dumber, that wasn't the point that I said, okay, I am now fulfilled. I think he would tell you that the process of getting there and, and the devotion to the craft and, and taking risks, as you, as you said, and, and, and you know, even – Hey, if I have to sleep on a park bench to to get there, well, then that's just part of what I have to do. I mean, I, I think he would tell you that he was fulfilled during that process. I mean, am, am I wrong in, in thinking that? No, I think you're exactly right. And I think I think it was the, the journey, but it was also the recognition that, you know, what I was doing really was valuable. It was really valued by people. And ultimately, gaining that recognition that, uh, you know, regardless of the money, it was a recognition that what I do brings fulfillment or brings happiness or, you know, entertainment to people, and that's what I want to do. Yeah, yeah. Who is this for? I mean, is this only for millennials, or, or can this model and this idea be applied to, to virtually anybody? Yeah, no, I mean, this is really at, at any age. What was interesting is millennials have a different perspective. I mean, they're often looking at beginning of their career, coming out of college, or, you know, been in their first job. You know, still trying to chart with what are all the life choices and paths I'm going to have to face, and how do I think about making those those choices? But I think for baby boomers, I mean, we have lots of people who are retiring in their fifties, or they're you know they've been in a job for you know fifteen years or twenty years, and it's like you know I really want to do something different. I really want to do something that's going to bring me more fulfillment. So I, I found as many baby boomers questioning and thinking about. You know, I've been down a lot of paths here, and what I've done so far has brought me moderate happiness or maybe fulfillment, but not the full enchilada, and I'm still looking for that. So I think it really does apply at multiple levels of one's life, multiple stages of one's life, in different ways. Yeah, I don't think it's ever too late to to find fulfillment in, in terms of how Bill Sheeman defines it. What if I'm in management? If I'm running an organization and I employ a lot of people, and I'm listening to this, and I think, gosh, you know, I 
I have a feeling that a lot of people in my organization aren't fulfilled, and and that realization is probably powerful enough, let alone the, what do I do about that? Or is there something for me to do about that? Or is that none of my business? What's a company's role? What's an organization's role to provide a framework by which their people can seek fulfillment? I mean, do they have a role to play there? And if so, what is that? I think companies have a huge role to play in it, and I think they they haven't played much of a role uh, thus far. I think that if you think about it from the company's viewpoint, so they got you know a couple of choices. One, if they do nothing, they basically leave their workforce to chance. They don't know if people are fulfilled. You know, the people who come in semi motivated, some that are highly motivated. The the second issue is that this movement around purpose and meaningfulness is growing. And it's probably played out more by millennials, partly because they have more options today. They have, you know, there's, there's critical skills that are missing. There's STEM skills, STEM skills issues, and certain crafts and trades. So they have more choice. And the and the question is, where are they going to work? Are they going to work at a place where they can become more fulfilled? Or are they going to work at a place that every day, you know, depresses them or doesn't bring that kind of uh, reward? And I think the other one is the other side of this is. There are people working almost in every organization who I'll call organizational terrorists or, you know, at best they're benign. They just come into work and they, they leave and they, you know, they, they punch the buttons. The reality is by companies helping people have meaningful conversations about fulfillment or offering some training and, and courses around fulfillment, you might get some people who will say, you know what, I have to opt out and leave. And because this isn't my thing, but for the company, in many ways, it's actually a plus because it hasn't been their thing and they've been there anyway. And I think the bottom line for companies is, do you want to grow productivity? Do you want to grow performance? Do you want to have people who are enjoying and productive here staying a long time? So I think that's the investment in fulfillment because we've all seen in our lives, when you see an employee and those employees in organizations where there's that spark, that pop where things are connecting. That's back to this, they're aligned, they're capable, and they're engaged or have passion. And that's what we want to grow more of in a company. So I think companies do have a role, not just for their being altruistic for people, I think it's also for their own interests. Yeah, no doubt about it. Is this just simply a thing where I have to, I got to change my mindset and it's, it's that simple, or are there actual tools I can use in this process? Well, I think there's tools. I think one one is is the visioning work of really thinking hard and getting away from. You can't do this in while you're standing in a bank line or waiting for tickets somewhere. <clears throat> I mean, it's sitting away from the the craziness and and really giving some thought again to you know where would I want to be? What would I want to do? You know, if I were looking back at you know the end of my life, what would I want? What would be my legacy? So I think it's partly the visioning. I think it's planning. And thinking about steps, stepping stones to get here, we call them lighthouse goals. So what are those intermediate goals that might be important? One of the things they used to do for corporations a lot is balance scorecards. And at, at the individual level, people have their own balance scorecards. Sometimes they don't sit and think about what it is or how to articulate it. But time is often where we make investments. So is my time invested in things that are going to move me down the path to my vision and where I, where I ultimately want to go, or am I whiling away tons of time on things that aren't really going to be that meaningful for me later? 
So I think those are some of the tools that, you know, really can be helpful. And then measure. Everybody who we talk to, almost everybody, who is fulfilled, measure themselves in some way. Athletes, it's easier because, you know, you're measuring millimeters and seconds. And But, you know, other people are measuring, do a check-in with themselves and, and ask some of the qualitative questions. In my book, we have some questionnaires that people can ask themselves about fulfillment, but also about some of the drivers, the alignment, capabilities, and engagement things. So whether it's, you know, qualitative or quantitative, there are things you can measure along the way to know whether you're on the path or not. Yeah, well, this is uh, this is one of those subjects where you might think, yeah, this is not something I can actually measure. When in fact, you make the big point, this is this is absolutely something you can measure. And frankly, I don't know that you could do it without that process. I mean, I think this this check in with yourself uh, is is almost essential to achieving this, right? It is, and you know, it's one of the things that that some of the millennial interviewees talked about is the fact that so much of life up to that point had been programmed that you know this is set up whether it's you know going from play dates to the next grade to the next step in college and and now I'm in a job and like well where's the next step. And I think it requires that sit down and thinking and then saying, so let me measure where I am on that progress. All right. So we're nearing the end, Bill. So someone listening to this who says, and maybe finally acknowledges, yeah, I don't think I'm fulfilled. And and I want to begin to rethink how I approach my life and how I approach my work. And I want to seek fulfillment. And I recognize that's not going to be an overnight process, uh, but I want to get moving on it. What are the two things they can do right now to increase their fulfillment? Well, I, th- I think the first one is one I just kind of touched on, and I think it's taking that time out, because if you don't have the vision, all the, uh, all the rest of this doesn't make any difference. So <clears throat> it's what the vision is. What, if I were thinking of myself at my funeral and people are all gathered around, what would I want them saying about me? What would, what would be meaningful? What would I want my life to stand for? I think it's a really helpful exercise and then think about where am I? Where are my gaps? I think a second one would be then think about building a plan and measures for tracking, particularly time and activities. You know, and if, if I'm trying to, let's say I want to become a judge, you know, so maybe I have to really get a law degree. And, you know, but if I'm in school right now, I've got to think about the courses I'm taking. I've got to think about passing certain, certain things. I've got to get, pass a law exam. I've got to get into law school. I need to have a pretty clear path about what that might be. And even if I change my mind, you know, I could be in law school and say, this isn't for me, but then I need to re, re, you know, chart out another path from there that, that I'm going to take. And I think too often that just drifts. So those are two things I think you could do. And of course, by the way, you can always buy the book and all the great tools. <laughs> Outstanding. Glad you went there. Well, Bill, before I let you go, should anyone have any questions on any of this? Uh, how can they contact you? Where can they learn more about Metris Group? And most importantly, where can they get their hands on a copy of Fulfilled Critical Choices Work Home Life? Well, certainly the, uh, the book is going to be available beginning October 1 on Amazon. They can also check out the website W. Scheman, that's W-S-C-H-I-E-M-A-N-N, Dot com, and we're also at Facebook at Fulfilled.CriticalChoices. All right. And where can they find Metris Group? Metris Group is at Metris.com. And there's a lot of references and resource material from 
tons of articles that uh, people can access for free. Outstanding. Dr. Bill Sheeman, the CEO of Metris Group and the author of the new book, Fulfilled, Critical Choices, Work, Home, Life. Bill, a great pleasure to have you. Thanks again for stopping by. Thanks, Todd. All right. All the time we have for today, again, on behalf of my guest, Dr. Bill Sheeman, I am Todd Schnick. We'll see you soon on Intrepid Radio. Thank you for listening to Intrepid Media. We appreciate your attention. To receive everything we do, simply go to IntrepidMailingList.com. That's IntrepidMailingList.com and sign up. You can also find us at Intrepid.media and on iTunes. And to support the important work we do on your behalf, a rating and review on iTunes will help spread our work far and wide. Again, we certainly appreciate your support. Now get out there, be intrepid, and we'll see you next time.